Hey guys, welcome to NFT Hype. Uh, I have some friends from EOS DAC here. Uh, I don't know if you guys like that introduction or if you're still uh, hanging on to EOS DAC, but it's a great project, so you should. <laughs> uh, hanging on for dear life. <laughs> I love it. I love the whole concept of DACs, actually. Uh, welcome, guys, uh, Michael Yates and Sarah McKenna, uh, who are launching a really cool project called uh, Alien Worlds on the Wax blockchain. Mike, what do you know about uh, this project? Oh, this is a project I've been following since they came out. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, they have all sorts of different uh, aliens and uh, mining tools and all sorts of cool cards that uh, are going to be used in a game which will allow you to mine and fight and participate in a metaverse um, that their federation has designed. So yeah, it looks uh, quite interesting. And I played it a little bit uh, myself and uh, I, I found the UIX quite smooth and enjoyable. So I'm looking forward to uh, delving deeper into it. Cool. Uh, Mike, uh, how have you been? What have you been up to with this project there? You know, tell us. Um, good, doing well. So obviously from EOS DAC, we've brought a lot of our software along. Um, and we kind of, um, we've been producing on the Wax blockchain for what, a year and a half now, I think, about that. Um, and we were kind of looking at what we can do on Wax that would be kind of in line with what we're doing on EOS, but more in tune with kind of gaming and NFTs and that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, over, uh, over a few cups of tea, we, um, we came up with the Alien Worlds idea, which is kind of like uh, DAOs in space um, and involved <laughs> mining and NFTs and DeFi and DAX. And yeah, just kind of mushing everything we know together into one grand scheme. So who was at the table at the, at the tea uh, event? Uh, it was uh, Sarah, Rob, and myself. Oh, were. good. Yeah, because we all live fairly close together, so we can actually meet up in real life, which is... Whoa, cool. wait, sorry, you guys meet in real life? Are you a crypto team? Because I, I don't think that... Does that happen, or...? Yeah. So we have actually met each other, it's true. Um, wow. Rob actually lives in the same city, and, and Sarah is not very far away, so... Wow, yeah, that is very unique. Yeah, it's, it's handy. It's You can get a lot more kind of hashtags. I think so. We kind of just thrashed yeah, it out over one day and had the kind of the general idea. And then I think over the next couple of weeks, so, we... I'm curious, like depending on how far you dig into certain black holes, uh, there's a lot of alien lore out there. Did you guys tap into any of that uh, for this project or was it uh, something that you have personal experience with or uh, <laughs> just like, just talk about that? So I think Rob was the one who, um, what was happening for him was that he kept discovering that his kids were charging up all these expenses in Fortnite and other games because they were buying in-game items. And then with everything that we were doing in crypto, he was seeing that, you know, NFTs were on chain and that that was like a really great and natural use case for, for, for crypto. So I think that's when he began to get really into 
what were these games that his kids were playing? What else was out there? And so Rob, I think, has really been the one who's been, I mean, in a sense, I think sometimes I think of him as a creative director. So like he will come up with, you know, why do we need Aoshi? So Aoshi is our um, intelligent, ancient AI guiding force who's like a godlike figure within the game who can come and give us information that we need or come and guide us in certain ways. He's the one that has the kind of vision for the different land types and how all of the NFTs fit together. And I think, Michael, you were the one that added the Bitcoin mining algorithm being the way that we got the information about Trillium. So we're kind of paying homage to some preceding yeah. projects in our foundational lore. Yeah, I think this works well. I think, yeah, Rob is definitely the, the creative slash the the imagination behind a lot of it um and then yeah we've we've both sort of added our own little little touches um and obviously i wanted to use all the deck stuff that we had previously so um because we've got the deck factory on eos and we wanted something a little bit similar on wax and then we kind of came up with this idea that it would be planets and nfts and I hope that it can be kind of something which can teach people a little bit as well so that we can, we can get more people exposed to running a deck and being involved in a deck than have been before. Yeah, that's kind of how I proposed it to Anders. I said, it's basically like a virtual DAX simulator, right? And you're kind of making yeah. it fun so people it, can it, learn yeah. it. There's no reason why we couldn't create everything that we've created but not have it in the space setting it could be the real world setting where each planet was a, a collective or a company or whatever you know yeah um, and i think actually over time we expect that the planets might not all be in a space setting so if you think about it each planet could have its own look look and feel some planets could be set even more in the future but actually some planets could even be set in the past um, there isn't really a, a reason why that can't happen because each planet can be its own community and can even create its own interface, uh, user interface. So they don't have to even use our user interface. So they can be plugged into our tokenomics, but be very much their own community with whatever they probably had pre-existing coming into alien worlds. And how do you guys decide on planets? Like uh, how many there are and that kind of thing? Um, little known fact is that originally there was seven, but we actually, we scaled it back to six. And I think the main reason for that was that it just fit nicely onto the screen. It, <laughs> Graphics. More, yeah, it fits nicely more than seven. Um, so six is, a, I think it's a good number. It's, it's not too high and it's not too low. And, I thought there um, was three that you guys were starting with. Three, no. Oh, originally it was seven, became down to six. And I should know the name of the one that was got rid of, but um, <laughs> I forget it at the moment. Well, what are the names of the six? Let's see if you can get that. Uh, IT? <laughs> Google. Alien Worlds. Mago, Neri, Naron, and Belize. Yay. And where and do those come from? They're actually uh, exoplanets. They are actual yeah. planets that exist that have been named by various bodies. Um, we didn't realize, but the, they kind of the rights for naming planets to all different kinds of people. And so some of them are from different countries and some of them are from different um, sort of uh, 
communities and everything. So yeah, they are actual real exoplanets. How would you guys explain the gameplay on this? Michael, you do that. No. <laughs> um, so I would, well, I would describe the gameplay as it's, it's very layered gameplay. Um, and it's kind of a bit like life, you know, there, there's different roles that you can take and you can kind of, you can be a miner and you can just be quite happy mining along and just doing your own thing and earning a trillion and earning NFTs every day. Um, but then if you want to sort of start getting involved with planetary governance, then you can start, you can be the player who's running as a leader of the planet. And then your game is essentially to try to attract votes and to, to try to attract stake. So you've got to start thinking really out of the box about how you're going to, how are you going to do that? Like, how are you going to get people to vote for you and actually stake, stake trillion towards your planet? So there's going to be some sort of incentive there for them. And what that is, is down to you. So, um, and then beyond that, there's other games. There's like a fighting game and there's probably other games we will bring along in the future. So if you don't want to run for, for governance, you can play those games as well and earn Trillium and, and NFTs. Um, but then if you're expert at being a planetary governor, you can start going a little bit further than that as well, where you start to um, you start to mess around with the contracts which run the planets, which we don't expect anyone to do straight away, but there is the opportunity there to kind of sculpt how votes are created and how planet uh, governors are elected. So there's kind of like a, a meta level above everything as well. So cool. Uh, what what is the incentive for the planetary governors? Um, it seems to be mainly megalomania at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> there's a certain kind of so so that would be like they can name the planet after themselves or something like that. Um, we don't necessarily have a way to name the planet. I mean, you can call it whatever you like. Um, but they will get to choose where a certain amount of Trillium goes. So each planet will receive a daily allowance of Trillium based on how much is staked to them. Um, and then they get to decide what to do with that entirely. So there, there should be quite a large budget available for them to, to play around with if they get enough people to stake to them. So it's kind of yeah, a circular game, you know? The more you I would say... Yeah, the tokenomics kind of encourage participation. I would say that the, the planetary governors will probably be trying to attract more stakers because ultimately that's how they get trillium coming to their planet. But how they do that will depend a little bit on what type of staker they're trying to attract or what type of participant they're, they're trying to, to attract to their planet. So you could have a planet that was primarily attracting people to stake to them by paying back rewards to those stakers, or you could have a planet that was primarily trying to encourage gaming on that planet. So gaming on a planet, what that means is that it's, it either refers to mining happening with respect to land NFTs on that planet, or it has to do with players in a fighting game, for example, um, fighting nominated with, with that planet being their nominated planet that they're fighting on behalf of. So 
and, and in each of those cases, the planet would get more rewards. So they would get more Trillium and NFTs uh, with respect to, to the activity on their planet. So I think that the planetary governors will evolve different strategies um, to attract more people to. And then the other thing is we might have planets where existing community from outside of the ecosystem, and in fact, this is what we, what, we, what we hope will happen, will come on board. And then that planet could actually essentially be running their own thing using their trillion flow to incentivize their own activities that they had prior to being part of Alien Worlds. So then will there be, I guess there'll be like a central battle dome or something like that where everyone fights on behalf of their planets because the way you worded it, it sounds like it's not happening on the planets themselves. Is that right? Yeah, so we have a Thunderdome where the, the battling will happen. Fighting is coming later on in our roadmap, so it's not the first functionality that's coming out. First will be the mining game, and then later on using minions, um, the, the minion NFTs in fighting. And that'll be kind of role place, a role play game based, like RPG style, or do you guys have an idea of how that's going to be structured yet? We're still kind of working it out, but it's likely to be a card uh, style fighting game. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to kind of similar to the ones we've seen before like dark country and all of those others but obviously right. our, our own little and maybe some trillium and ft bonuses put in <clears throat> cool our, our games are rely more on strategy than on like real-time skill so you know to invest a lot in a ui that was kind of first person probably isn't the best use of our energy so yeah it would probably just be like turn-based and card-based yeah i guess that's where the I guess that's where the NFTs will come into play. Yeah. Yeah, we have weapons and we have minions who will be used in the fighting game. Um, the, so we have four different types. We have minions, weapons, mining tools, and then land. And the mining tools are obviously used in the mining game. And the, uh, the minions and the weapons are used in the fighting game. Can the minions be shine? Yeah. What's the benefit of that? Uh, shining will increase the stats uh, slightly. And guaranteed actually, or potentially? Yeah. Okay. No, guaranteed. They all have a fixed um, figures for, for all their different attributes and they are, they are fixed for each shine level. Um, plus you get a brand new um, image. So the ones we have now, if you've noticed, they're all static. Um, but as we move up the, the shining ranks, they become animated and have different effects on top of them as well. So very cool. Like that. What yeah, is shining is going to be very, very popular, I think. And that's going to launch uh, soon after, soon after we launch the game, we're going to get shining going because yeah, it's just one of our most demanded. Well, after features i think i read that article too and it seems like it's going to take quite a bit of mining to get enough trillium to do all the shining that guys want to do yeah. these guys want to have it all done out of the gate so it seems like there might be a bit of a, a rush on the trillium yeah that's point. why we're not launching it immediately that's why we're having it a little bit later because we want people to have the chance to mine enough trillium um there's Trillium in our packs as well, the promo packs that have a single card. 
they have some trillium in them and mining as well. So we're going to give people a little bit of time so that there isn't, you know, the have and the have nots. We don't want one or two guys to have all the trillium and therefore they're the only ones who can shine. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it's going to be so bad. It's we will have some trillium required for shining, which will increase as the, the level goes up, but it shouldn't be an onerous amount of trillium. It shouldn't be. So, so how much time then will you give people to mine before you guys open shining? Uh, before we go there, uh, can you guys explain what shining is? Yeah, so shining is where we take um, we take four cards and we combine them together to increase them to the next level of shine. So we have four levels of shine. The, the current cards which are out at the moment are all stone level and then the next level is gold. And then the level above is uh, Stardust and then Antimatter. So four levels of cards and each one requires four of the previous level. So Antimatter cards require 64 of the, the base card, the stone card. So that's, that's quite a lot. Um, and they'll require a fair amount of trillium. We haven't, we haven't calculated that exactly. And I guess that's what is going to, we're going to have to weigh up. Um, how much trillion people have and then how much we're kind of looking to burn because we're, we're looking to have a deflationary token so we're looking to burn quite a lot of it over time and one of those mechanisms for burning is the shining game so when you when you burn the cards you have to burn some trillium as well yeah exactly it's like a thousand trillion per shine is that right or <laughs> where do you get your numbers from I don't know. I read well, the article, do. but yeah, I can't. We Did we put that in the article? Yeah. Yeah. It does. I think it's not. It's not set in stone yet, but that's roughly the ballpark, I would say. Yeah. And that's based on memory too. Like I've just. Yeah, it, in, it increases for each level, or it, it will increase for each level, and I guess you know that's that's roughly the ballpark. So. Um, we have to kind of see how much people are getting from mining and how many people are mining and everything and just give them a little bit of time before we, we open the shining. Talk um, about Trillium a little bit. What's this, the supply on that? So 5 billion supply and then 5 billion tokens are locked in a locked box, which releases at a very slow rate of 0.025% of the remaining box per day. So it turns out in the first year to something like 440 million trillion getting released into the ecosystem out of the locked box. And then out of the actual 5 billion, so you can think of that a bit like inflation because it's growing the supply very slowly over time. Um, and we have a, a burning policy um, of a target of 50 to 60% burning out of that, what's being released out of the locked box so that about half of that won't actually end up increasing supply. Because it will be, and then out of the five billion that we really think of as supply, um, that's getting divided up between explorers, incentivizing developers, the team. Uh, some is going into a foundation, and there's a there's a token allocation associated with that. Oh, cool. What so kind of timeline do you? Sorry, what kind of timeline do you figure the lockbox will release over? Like, well, because it's a proportion of the remaining box per day it actually never goes down zero but okay um i think it halves over about eight years yeah something like that, something like that. that. it was yeah it's a, a long time 
project before it really it really goes down to to low levels yeah so the idea is that we're releasing some Trillium into the system all the time to help people to do what they want to do and to grow whatever it is that they want to grow within the ecosystem. But we're also burning some of it so that we don't end up with, you know, just just people's value disappearing. Mm -hmm. Is there going to be a pair somewhere on an exchange? Is okay. already on Alcor. Is already wax. These are wax really Trillium just. These are just items that we hope that people will use and enjoy in what we're building. Within the game, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited. They are, they are standard, they're standard tokens, they're standard WAX tokens, and uh, we'll actually bridge it across to Ethereum as well. So we will have the token movable between the uh, WAX and Ethereum blockchains. So, so I think that's one of the real... And I think that's really, really significant. So Michael created the first um, Ethereum Wax uh, bridge. And what that does is it allows somebody to store their Trillium as an ERC-20 token on Ethereum, because that's a, a place where it makes sense often to store your liquidity. Um, but it also allows someone then to use Trillium within the game uh, as a wax token oh, cool. um, for all the things that that you actually need to be able to use it for within the game, like shining and other fees and so on. So we think of ourselves as a Ethereum project with a layer two solution on wax um, because you know our, our token is an ERC20 token, but then a lot of the functionality is is actually just you know being run on wax. So is there an equal ERC-20 supply then on Ethereum of, of Trillium or how that works? No, the, the total supply is uh, a, a billion and it moves between the two. It can never be more than a billion between the two in existence at once. So is, does it sit in an escrow contract or something like that then and get wrapped? Yeah, basically it will sit in the, it will sit either on either side in a frozen contract whilst it's on the other chain. So each chain technically has uh, a billion tokens, but some of them are inaccessible at any one point. So the accessible tokens are always one billion between the two. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's part of our project as well. We've realized that, you know, the WAX community is great. Um, you know, we couldn't have done this without the WAX community, honestly. We couldn't have done it without being block producers on WAX. Um, but we need to bring in new people. So the Ethereum community is the one that we're going after primarily. Um, and we I think we can all agree with that, for sure. Yeah. And, and obviously, WAX is a good place for dApps and to bring ETH people over to experience dApps. Yeah, and if, right? if people want to play the game, then really, you know, you you can't be too fundamental about it. There's the fact that you can't play this game on Ethereum. You can't pay, you know, two to five dollars for every time you mine some trillion because it's not very much trillion anyway. You know, it's yeah. a small amount. So it has to have free transactions. It has to have this speed which we have on Wax. Um, so yeah, we've done. I think we've done really well to reach out to the Ethereum people. Mm -hmm. We've got a, we've had a decentralized kind of. I don't know, what would you call it, like a portal or a... Yeah. So 
basically one of the Decentraland districts created a scene for us within their district and um, people could win a shooter game. And then when they did that, they could get claim an airdrop. Um, that was DC Metaverse Studio who did yeah. that um, with us. And uh, yeah, really, I think- It was really popular. It did surprisingly well. You know, I think we, we had a lot of people coming along and they could interact within Decentraland and then sign up for a wax wallet. And then it kind of all just crossed between the two so that they received their on the wax blockchain after doing the action on the Decentraland. So, I heard um, people really like the shooter game too. I haven't got a chance to check it out myself yet, but yeah, I think it's good. finished now. But it, yeah, it was it was surprisingly popular, and um, I think we've actually we've brought quite a lot of new people into Wax. Like a, new, a lot of new signups have come. Um, I need to do some analysis on who's come in and where they've come from, but it definitely seems like we have well over a hundred, hundred and fifty new accounts created from ethereum people so that's awesome just from that one yeah we hope to yeah. do more with them um, and there's been other outreaches into various eth communities as well so um we have the eth ambassador program which has been doing quite well so yeah it's it's definitely going quite well this time for the land sale people yeah, are we, we really also we look to sandbox as well as a great project that we're kind of learning from and, and how they've grown and built. So yeah, we'd love to kind of reach out a little bit more to them too. It's kind of interesting the way that, you know, a lot of projects have these components that are similar to ours. And in a sense, I'm not even sure how much we were looking at that when we, when we devised the structure, but I think it kind of intuitively makes sense. So we have these DAO structures. I think in our case, what's different is that we have multiple DAOs rather than there being kind of like one DAO that everybody belongs to. And then we have a fungible token and we have non-fungible tokens. And then within the non-fungible tokens, we have the concept of land, which is a yielding non-fungible token. And it's, so I think a lot of other projects have also kind of you know, naturally and also by design, you know, ended up segmenting their various like mechanisms and assets in that way, because it kind of makes sense. It allows people to participate in different ways. If you want to collect unique singular objects like NFTs, you can do that. And then you can grow a certain type of essentially commercial activity, in-game, you know, activity out of that. Or if you're kind of more interested in taking bigger positions in a fungible token and doing things like trying to take over a planet, you know, and being involved in that kind of governance, you can do that too. And I guess it suits people with different, you know, amounts of that they want to put in both in time and money. Um, and it also kind of allows for different types of people to come in. So, so yeah, the Decentraland tie-up was, was really interesting. And I think we're, we're looking forward to doing more of that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, cool. I'm going to actually bring up uh, your latest Medium article about the land roadmap. Did you guys want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that'd be great. We're really excited to have um, published recently some further specificity on land and how that's going to end up working. So, um, Michael, did you want to talk a little bit about this or, or should I give a I think, yeah, I think you can. I think you're probably the best person to talk about this. Yeah, so um, we always had this concept, like I was explaining, of the, the locked box and the 440 million tokens in the first year that will come out of that, and that number declines over time. And um, what, you know, one of the big kind of stakeholder units within the game are the planets. Um, but it is possible that a planet might not always, that a planet 
planet's interests and the land owner's interests might not always exactly align. And so what we've done is we've allocated some of that daily allocation directly to landowners so that it doesn't all flow to the planets, but 80% of it flows to the planets and 20% of it flows directly to landowners. Of the 80% that flows to planets, some will in fact, the majority of them will go to um, the mining game, which eventually benefits landowners because landowners charge a commission on mining yields that were mined on their own land. So we think, you know, landowners will get um, a lot of incentive coming to them through the planetary mechanism. We've also created a separate mechanism that landowners can benefit from, which is the daily trillium allocation to landowners. Then over time, one of the things we're excited about is that um, Landowners will be able to, so we talked about shining and how you can kind of level up your NFTs by investing more in them through the shining mechanism. We're excited to have um, kind of conceptualized a sort of corollary mechanism within land, which is the land rating, where um, landowners can purchase items that upgrade their land rating. And then through that mechanism, they can um, get more of the daily trillium allocation to landowners. So they can invest in terraforming and other um, kind of other in-game mechanisms and items that increase their, their payout uh, associated with their land. And then later on in the land roadmap, we also have a concept of landowners uh, having a window. And from that window, they can offer things into the metaverse. So they can either offer services that are tied into the tokenomics and the economy of the metaverse, or they can just offer whatever else it is that they want to offer using their window as their showcase. So an example of a service that a landowner might be able to provide over time would be something like a hospital or a forgery. So you can imagine that through the fighting game, uh, players uh, minion NFTs or weapon NFTs would get damaged or the person or the minion might get hurt. Um, and then they need to heal by going to the hospital and that brings their NFT back up to the, the minion NFT back up to its full level or similarly with weapon or mine tool. It also go to the forgery to get sharpened or to get um, put back to their, to their default level after having been diminished through some kind of activity. So we see landowners as over time having um, like, I guess, first mover advantage or, or, or a place with an ecosystem that can't be replicated by anything else. Because in order to offer these services, you have to be a landowner. And in order to have a window into our UI, you have to be a landowner. Um, so yeah, we're excited to kind of have laid that out in a little bit more granularity and, and to build that out over time um, so that by buying land now, um, you're giving yourself the opportunity to participate in the metaverse in a way that, that you can only do by, by being a landowner. So if I own land, then can I, and, and I have a window, I, can I basically build a store that I can offer anything that I want in that store kind of thing, like NFTs or something like that? Yeah. That's, that's the idea, yeah, that you would be able to sell NFTs and we would probably provide the software to sell NFTs, but also you would have the flexibility to kind of put anything you like there as a, like a web page. Um, Not quite any. Well, you know, yeah, within <laughs> we don't want any crazy stuff there, but yeah. Um, so yeah, this is another one of those. It's another level of the gameplay that I forgot to mention earlier. So you've got the planetary governance, you've got the, you know, the, the miners and the game players, and then you've got the people who are landowners and they're kind of playing 
game as well for petroleum domination and maybe to buy up more land. And so I, I took a look at the, the yeah. land pack and it, there's eight items that come in there. Yeah. Uh, not every item is going to be land, right? So what are the other items going to be? Uh, so there's one, um, there's one piece of land, which obviously is, you know, it's the big ticket item for the, the pack, but then it also comes with some standard cards. Um, and the only difference between this and sort of earlier packs that we've sold is that the probabilities of receiving legendary and mythical mythic items are higher. So they're actually higher than with the standard pack, but otherwise the same kind of thing. It's, it's the same cards that are coming out. There's no, there's no extra cards like we had with the rare sale. Um, mm -hmm. So the rare packs have the X dimension cards in there, but these, the land packs don't have any different cards. They just have higher probabilities of higher cards. Because we we, we've realized that there's probably too much rare in the world. So the rare is a bit lower and everything else a bit higher. But when you say the other seven cards are just standard, I mean, there's still probabilities of getting most rare type of NFTs in there. They're oh, yeah. just yeah. You know, not, not as likely as, but yeah, as you say, there's higher probabilities of those rare NFTs than there were in the, in the previous sales. Sometimes I wonder if we priced it too cheaply <laughs> for that reason. Uh, it's very possible. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out on Friday, I guess. Um, we'll have to. Yeah, we'll have to have someone to blame. Yeah, I mean, Friday and Saturday is going to be very interesting. So, I mean, Friday is when it starts, but it typically doesn't really get going until the next day. So Saturday, Saturday morning. When, Although we when... don't know that this time. I mean, it could be all over by Friday. <laughs> we never know. I mean, we really don't know actually in this case because land is a yeah. very different type of NFT. Than the other ones and we and, and there are only three thousand of them you know on these planets so it, i suppose in yeah. that sense there it's a lot rarer than the other nfts were so we don't quite know what the how, how the auction will end up going yeah. can you talk about why you guys went with the ducks uh dutch auction sales sales structure so i think like the first thing was that we wanted it to happen over time and to allow for people to go in at different price points based on their judgment about how it might go. And I think that there's something essentially like dramatic and live about an auction and also something quite um, dramatic about that descending price point because you're kind of waiting to see when you're going to jump. And depending on how you're aging other people, you might jump earlier or later. So I think we wanted it to be with enough time that people could kind of get their act together and it wouldn't be the case that they woke up one day and said, oh my God, it's over kind of thing. Like if it had only been a couple of hours, that might have meant that some people would just not be able to participate. So we wanted to make it long enough that people in different time zones could participate and so on, but also um, go through a wide enough range of presses that, you know, as the market moved in one direction or another, we were covering those different price points and people could kind of choose where they wanted to come in at. And then what was really great was Michael coded the ability for us to also have pre-orders. So even though it's a live auction, what happens when you pre-order is you, it's like you're putting in a bid at the price level that you're specifying and it will only get executed if the price goes to that level in the auction, right? A so let's say I put in, 
Mm. It's okay. Yeah, it's a little bit like an option in that sense. So um, you would, you know, let's say you would put in a, uh, an order at price point 12. Um, that's, that's you thinking that we will make it down to price point 12. But if we sell out at price point 10, your order will never get fulfilled. So even though it's a pre-order, it's not a guaranteed sale. It doesn't mean that you're definitely going to be able to get the pack at that price. It's just almost like a pre-bid at that level. So I think that was pretty genius of Michael to be able to do both the kind of live auction side and the pre-order. And I hope that it allows people to kind of, people who want to be able to think about things a bit more and like place it at the level that they want, they can do that ahead of time. And then people who just want to know what the market's doing and how it's going and how it's actually happening live, they can, they can do it live. Let's, let's, let's see how much of a genius he is now. Let's say, um, <laughs> so if I were to put in a, a, an order for the last item there and someone else came after me, is it in order? Does mine get fulfilled before his? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you if are a genius. Any, then. Yeah, if there's only half of them left to fulfill the remaining orders, it, it's processed in order. Yeah. Okay. And Good. it processes the pre orders at the beginning of that period, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the pre orders get processed, but the actual real orders can't get processed until all the pre orders are cleared. So For it's that not the case point. that somebody could be really quick and get in before the pre orders. The pre orders are always going to be uh, processed first. Okay, so what you're saying is pre-order now as soon as possible. At the highest price point possible. Because yeah, I mean, you've got to really think about because it is a game, you know, it's like a game not between, it's between us and you and it's between you and the you other. And the other. The others as well, like when are other people going to bid? Are they going to outbid you? Uh, are you going to end up with nothing? You know, so you have to think about what is your really your highest price rather than yeah. what you kind of like, because everybody wants the lowest price. You know, obviously everybody wants that, but um, historically they haven't always uh, come off. You know, I think the first sale we sold out a few periods before. So there were some people who... They receive refunds, obviously. You get a refund at the end, but you don't receive that until after the sale. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you asked then, why, why did we do it? I had to think, I was like, why did we do it? But I, I seem, I remember one of our main goals was that we are gonna, we, it's always been that we would like to bring in other people from outside mm. the wax community. And we'd, you have to remember what the timing was when we actually did it, which was kind of like just after GPK one, I think there weren't many other sales, were there, Sarah? There was basically GPK was the kind of one that was there. Yeah. There was a few others maybe. Um, so we, we'd looked at it and we'd seen that basically if you're a wax guy and you're like us and you don't do anything all day but wax, you know, it's very easy to be there at like 12 o'clock. Whereas other people have to work and they have actual jobs and lives and all these kind of things. So. <laughs> that's really kind of factored in very heavily is that we want people to have time to come along and put their orders yeah. in. That's why we've done the pre-orders as well, because there's a whole, I think we've had it up for eight days now mm -hmm. and we've had a lot of people coming in and always we'll have people coming along later and saying, Oh, I missed the whole thing, you know, and that's not really very fair to everybody. So yeah, one of our key goals was to bring in as many people as possible and have as many people involved and not just have, the, the diehard wax yeah, people who we love and who yeah. will be included, but we need to. Yeah, we don't want two guys buying up a thousand packs each and <laughs> to, you know, to other people for a, a markup. So, um, 
yeah, we try to make things as fair as possible and as inclusive as possible. I think it's great. Yeah, it's uh, it's an awesome feature. I think other sales should have that as well too. Yeah, and everything's an experiment. You know, we don't know that this is the best way to do a sale, but you notice that we've changed things slightly from the very first sale. I think the first sale had twelve. Was it twelve periods? I think it was twelve. It was a little 12. shorter the first sale. Yeah, so we made mm -hmm. it a little bit longer because we had, and actually the first sale we messed up because we didn't realize that yeah. the biggest audience was actually America. And we didn't look at when the, when the yeah. finished. So it actually finished in the middle of the night or it came it to- It was like 4 a.m. or something. Yeah, it was so super had, late. Yeah, we had loads of Americans <laughs> the next day going, oh, I, I went to bed and I woke up and it's all over. So we're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll try to make it finish a little bit earlier for those guys as well. So yeah, full a learning experience and we're just tweaking things every every sale that we do. We're, we're changing the parameters. So mm. hopefully we can find something that works well. Essentially what you're doing is you're building a community, right? Uh, just like... Um token holders that you had from EOS DAC as well too. So I'm sure you've had a lot of learnings across the, the projects. Yeah, this whole this whole industry is just a bunch of learning and <laughs> nobody should be too afraid to make mistakes. That's the way I see it. There's gonna be mistakes and we can recover from them and we can tweak it for later, so yeah. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's true that that's one of the reasons why we were really keen to include the DAO structure and concept as a key part of this was because we have over two years of like live weekly experience within a DAC as they're called. Right. And so I think like to, to feel that all of that experience wasn't somehow being transplanted into this new project, that would have been a bit of a waste, both technically because we're using mature software that's been in use for two years and is bug free from that perspective, but also in terms of like the human learnings about how a decentralized autonomous community kind of like changes and grows over time. Um, yeah, so that, so that experience has been valuable. Do you guys envision like, uh, I, I, I always, whether Michael knows it or not, I give him some ideas once in a while. Um, <laughs> uh, do you know, do you envision like uh, the, the planets having their own dark factory page one day? Anything you mean like possible. them? Yeah, I mean. I don't like to look too far in the future. I like to think of like <laughs> this, this mechanism itself. And then that kind of develops its own life. And then we'll see what that does. You know, that's, it's kind of, rather than trying to plot out everything that will happen in the future, I, I like to just focus on the first thing, which is just getting these planets out and getting them to have their own things. But yeah, certainly each one could have their own DAC factory. They could have their own NFT factory. They could, hopefully they'll do things that we can't even imagine or, you know. So, so. it's, I think it's worth saying that the, the whole metaverse is itself essentially a DAC factory, right? Because each planet is a DAO. It gets its own fungible token with it which it can go off and do whatever it wants with right and that that token is its DAO token in the sense that it got it's the governance token it tracks voting power and 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 the multi-sigs within the DAO but it's also just a tradable token right so the first thing is that the the metaverse itself is a DAC factory like in the way that you're describing but yeah I think it's worth saying that um I think maybe more than being a DAC factory, each planet probably would end up becoming an NFT factory because I can totally see each of the communities 
um, wanting to make use of, of the functionality, the interoperable NFT creation um, stuff that Michael's going to be, be bringing on stream that then allows them to create an NFT that has a certain like baseline standard within the metaverse so that one planet that creates an NFT, it, it wouldn't be like too highly powered versus other NFTs that other planets are creating. Or if it were, the other planets wouldn't necessarily have to recognize those NFTs within their own like native gameplay, right? So there's definitely an interoperability piece that you then ha you know can create within a metaverse. So I do think um, the planets being able to issue NFTs that are recognized by other planets is, is a very likely way that this will unfold. And just um, going back to the fungible token, the differences, so you can think of each planetary token as kind of like the EOSTAC token, uh, which is used for voting for the custodians of the DAO. Um, but the difference with this is that each each um, planetary token is backed by the Trillium. Um, and that backing doesn't have to be one-to-one. -one, so it, we were building in a mechanism where you can increase the backing of each token in Trillium based on the income to the planet. So we're not going to go into this too much now because it's a bit more like second level advanced mm -hmm. planetary governance stuff. But yeah, it's going to be quite interesting when the planets start um, making their token more valuable than the other planets and offering these extra incentives to come into planets early and stake in early. Well, yeah. So you can think of the, the trillium that flows to each planet as a liquidity pool in itself. And then as the custodians decide to back their fungible DAO token with more trillium, then their DAO token would increase in its backing. Um, so this is definitely going to be a mechanic that custodians of the planets will likely make use of to attract more stakers to their planet and then to recognize those stakers with something of value. So land sale starts December 4th, what time? 1 p.m. UTC and pre-orders are open now. Um, we also have a really friendly telegram. I mean, I'm, although I've been working in crypto for a while now, I seem to remain a perennial newbie in many ways, <laughs> which includes pretty much anything technical essentially. And so like if, anybody has any questions with respect to how to do a pre-order or how to make that Ethereum payment or even how to set up a Wax Cloud wallet, anything like that, we really do have a friendly telegram and we really are just like answering any questions that people have in there all the time. So please feel free to come in, say hi, and ask any question, no matter how big or small. Great. I will put your links in the description of this video and uh, looking forward to being part of the community. I, I really like what you guys are doing and uh, I know Big Mike is probably already uh, one leg into the black hole, and uh, I I'm, have a I'm breaking stuff. I'm You're already breaking stuff. stuff yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it, guys. Uh, good job so far. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks for coming on, guys. It was great to meet you and, and talk to you guys. Nice to be on with some fellow Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Have a great day. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, guys.